Hey, good morning, Edinburgh Church. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is great to have you with us. Hey, my name is Joshua, if you don't know who I am. Uh, yeah, so good to be with you this morning. Hey, I also just want to say, if you tuned in last week for Easter Sunday, thanks for tuning in as well. Hey, uh, we did not cancel Easter, just so you know. Uh, we did celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We had a fantastic morning. And we believe in these new interesting days that God still used, you know, venues like Edinburgh Church and other churches around the globe to get the message of Jesus Christ out there. And we believe God used that. Uh, we, we've heard stories of impact even through just uh, Pastor Brent's message last week. Uh, hey, if you are one of those individuals who was transformed, you made a decision for Christ last week, can I just say, way to go. Congratulations. We are so excited for you. And uh, we just, we hope the reality of what the Bible says about you will just begin to sink in. The Bible says you're a new creation, that you're, you're made pure, you're made clean, you're made whole. God actually sees you now as one of his children, which is, I think is so cool that God adopted you when you receive Jesus Christ. Hey, just speaking of children, just a shameless plug for our, our kids' ministries. Hey, I just want to remind you, if you haven't yet, make sure you're going out to our church at home page on myedinbrook.org. Make sure you're checking out all the kids' links, uh, birth through grade 12. There's tons of ways for your kids to stay connected right here at Edinburgh Church. Please make sure you're going out, clicking on the age-appropriate link, and it's a way for your kids to stay connected, but also just get some God, get some, get some Bible in their, in their daily lives. So please make sure that you're checking that out this week. <clears throat> well, I have the privilege of starting a brand new series today called Crucial Questions. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be discussing and looking at questions that I think are really hard and a lot of us wrestle with, especially when it comes to our faith. No matter where we're at in our faith journey, whether you've been a Christian for a week or 40 years, there's all things that we still wrestle with. And I want to start the series today by asking this question. What do I do when I doubt God? What do I do when I doubt God? I can remember when my kids started to question the existence of the tooth fairy. Now, let me just make this disclaimer. If you have little ones listening right now, you might want to have them leave the room just so there's no spoiler alerts, okay? I just want to make that disclaimer. But I was scrolling through some old pictures in our, our Google Photos account, and I came across some pictures from years ago right after our son Noah lost a tooth. Now, Noah had already begun to suspect that something was a little fishy about the tooth fairy. I mean, if you think about it, right, the whole concept of the tooth fairy really is a bit creepy, all right? A fairy who sneaks into your room while you're asleep and takes teeth. Why did I even buy into this when I was a kid? Well, of course, I know I bought into it because there was usually a cash payout if I left my tooth under. That's why I bought into it. But even with a cash payout, my son Noah, he started to be a little skeptical. So he wrote the tooth fairy a letter, and I'm going to show you the, a picture of the letter. And even if you can't read it, I'm going to read it for you. Here's what that letter said. <clears throat> it says, Dear Tooth Fairy, I lost my tooth at church on Wednesday. Hey, at least he lost his tooth at church. That's cool. I was eating chocolate when my tooth moved, and then I pulled it out. P.S., Please put my tooth in the chest. We had this little plastic chest that we put, had the kids put their tooth in. Okay, more on the back. Here's the back of the letter. PPS, 
some people will be guarding the tooth and the chest. So my son decided he's going to put some stuffed animals around his letter here to, to guard the tooth. And now my favorite part, PPPS, please take a picture of yourself on my mom's phone. Now, I thought this was super creative, super hilarious. My wife, Christina, we were all over this, okay? We, were, we thought we were so clever. So we put some cash down. We put some candy down. And we took a picture for Noah as proof that the tooth fairy was real. And here is the picture that we took. Hope you uh, get a kick out of that. Well, so the next morning, Noah saw this picture, and he was way too smart for mom and dad because he quickly recognized that that faceless angel figurine was the same one from our bookshelves in the family room. So he was on to us in no time, and soon enough, the truth was revealed. But do you remember finding out the truth about the silly stuff that our parents did to us? Like, when I think back to when I was a kid, I can kind of remember that my thought process after that little seed of doubt started to creep in. Okay, well, first I questioned whether fairies were actually real or not. Okay, then I questioned the tooth fairy herself. I mean, how does she manage all those teeth when she's just a tiny thing herself? And then it all started to unravel. Then all of a sudden I started, well, wait a minute. What about the giant bunny who brought me chocolate every spring? And then it got worse. What about the man in the red suit who left me lots of presents in December? And everything unraveled at that point. And my childhood was, of course, destroyed. No big deal. But see, doubt begins early, doesn't it? Maybe with small stuff like the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny, but it never really goes away. Sure, it, it, it was just the tooth fairy when I was a kid, but my doubts didn't go away as I grew up and I got older. If anything, my doubts became more serious. My questions got more serious. I remember the first time I had my heart broken. I doubted if someone would ever really love me. I remember getting my ACT scores back in high school and having doubts about my future. Would I be able to get into that good college that I wanted to go to? I remember when my father-in-law, he got really bad cancer diagnosis, and he suffered a lot at the end of his life. And I don't understand it, and I doubted God. I even wondered from time to time whether God was really there. I wondered whether God was really good. I'm sure you have your own stories. Maybe you were in a relationship you were in and you had doubts. Maybe you dealt with doubt when you went through a painful divorce. Maybe you're having a hard time right now. You've, you've lost your job and you doubt you're ever going to be able to find another job. Maybe you're dealing with serious doubts when it comes to God. When it comes to God, there's only one thing that I know for certain. When it comes to doubt, the only thing for certain is that everyone has it. That's it. When it comes to doubt, the only thing for certain is that everyone has it. But doubt kind of has a, it gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Often we talk about people who wrestle with doubt like, like, like that's a bad thing. Like, like they're ignorant, okay? Like they're lesser people, like they're weaker. And why, why do we do that? I think it's because we like to equate certainty with strength, don't we? And those who doubt, they're somehow, they're somehow pushed aside or they're, they're, they're left behind. But if that's you today, can I just tell you, listen carefully, Doubt isn't always a bad thing. 
I just want to hear, I want you to say that again. And as a pastor who's had doubts, doubt isn't always a bad thing. I mean, there's a reason that we all do it. What if my my now teenage children had never doubted the existence of the tooth fairy and asked questions? Now, they might be really entertaining to talk to now, but it would be difficult to take them seriously. You see, it was actually important and necessary for them to start asking questions. In this case, that doubt helped them let go of some of those ideas that weren't actually true so that they could begin to live life in light of new, more accurate information. Doubt in our faith, doubt in God, it's no different than the other doubts we experience every day. It's part of how God has wired us to process truth. Doubt is just a part of our lives, and it's there for a reason. In the same way, doubting some of our childhood stories about uh, our parents taught us help us redefine a more personal worldview, doubts related to our faith can help us begin to have a stronger and more personal belief. I believe that. Now, here's what, I, here's what I've discovered. When it comes to doubt, When it comes to God and faith, doubt usually creeps in because we've attached our faith to one of three things. And let me just touch on those three things real quick. First, I'd say doubt can creep in when we attach our faith to a particular understanding of God. We have this this one understanding of what God is like and how God should act. Then when something happens, that conflicts with our understanding of God's character, what happens? We have doubt. A second way that I I see that doubt can creep in is doubt can creep in when we have attached our faith to someone else's faith. We might not say it that way, but somehow we have this understanding about God that is solidified uh, by a person that we feel we can rely on. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe it's even a world figure. Then when that person makes an unwise decision or somehow their faith begins to fall apart, our faith falls apart with it. A third way, <coughs> excuse me, a third way that I often see that doubt can creep in is when things don't line up intellectually. Maybe it's an intellectual thing for you. Maybe your faith has been attached to a particular interpretation of the Bible, and then you hear something in school or in the paper or online, and it conflicts, and you start to wonder whether you can really trust that interpretation of events. And whatever the case, what happens? Doubt creeps in. But if we're honest about our doubt, and we learn how to deal with the doubt that we have, then we'll be able to move past the kind of Christianity that's just lip service. That's not what God wants from us. He doesn't want the motions. He wants a deep-seated faith, a deep-seated belief. And our belief will develop into something deeper. Doubt can help us begin to personalize our faith and internalize things that will genuinely shape the way we make decisions and the way we interact with people around us. I believe that. So what happens is when doubt creeps in, we come to this fork in the road. We come to this fork, and we've all got to make a choice when we face some doubt. And I'm telling you right now, doubt can be helpful, or it can be destructive. It's not rocket science, is it? That doubt can be helpful, or it can be destructive. 
if we can handle our doubt well, it can pave the way to a stronger and healthier faith in God. The Bible tells the story of a man who mastered learning to live in faith while dealing with doubt. His name is Nicodemus, and he's one of the few people, apart from the disciples who the Bible records, interacting with Jesus throughout the course of his ministry. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which meant that he was a member of the ruling Jewish council. So he was kind of a big deal in the Jewish community. If you think about the synagogues, kind of like a prestigious job description, <coughs> the Pharisees would be like the CEOs and the CFOs and the COOs. These were the guys with the most intelligence, okay? They were at the top of the, top of the ladder. If you're a student watching today, this would be like the honor students, okay? With the high SAT scores and off-the-charts GPAs. This was Nicodemus. If you've heard of the Pharisees before, it's probably because you recognize that these were the guys that Jesus went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a lot. Uh, and, and as head-smart as sharp as the Pharisees were, as much as they had memorized and practiced the letter of the law, the Pharisees often missed the point. Jesus saw their potential for influence and he wanted them to get it, but they so often, they just didn't get it. Nicodemus, however, he was a little different than the others. While most Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat and a nuisance, Nicodemus saw Jesus as a valid Jewish teacher. Nicodemus wasn't hostile, okay? He was curious, which means, guess what? He had doubts. He saw something in Jesus that his colleagues were missing, and he wanted to get to know more about Jesus and hear what Jesus had to say. However, because of the position he was in, Nicodemus knew that, that being seen with Jesus could potentially be dangerous. So Nicodemus decided to go see Jesus in the middle of the night secretly. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 3. Here's what it says in verse 2. After dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, when Nicodemus comes to meet Jesus, he starts the conversation by letting Jesus know, hey, he understands who Jesus is. He's super polite. Okay, That's pretty normal, right? When you think about it in today's context, let's say you're going to meet someone at Caribou for the first time, and you're like, hey, I got your name from so-and-so, right? I've heard a lot of great things about you. So-and-so said you could maybe help me with an issue. Totally what Nicodemus is doing here. Something like that. Normal conversation starter when meeting someone for the first time. But then Jesus responds to Nicodemus, and the whole night takes a sideways turn. Now, instead of responding to Nicodemus with a regular greeting, like something like, hey, Nick, it's so good to meet you. I, I've, I've heard about you in town. I've heard you're a pretty, you're pretty sharp Pharisee. No, that's not how Jesus responds. He responds in a way that seems like it has nothing to do with Nicodemus' greeting. Here's what he says in verse 3. This is Jesus. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, what? Uh, I'm sorry, Jesus. You want to run that by me one more time? Okay, can I be honest? Okay, and, and, and don't beat me down for this. How is that a normal thing to say at all? 
I mean, I have to think that Nicodemus was totally confused right now. He, he had just shown Jesus a level of respect and greeting that most Pharisees weren't willing to give Jesus, even by calling him teacher. But then Jesus makes this awkward statement. He just does. But what I love is that Nicodemus wasn't deterred. He must have decided, okay, Jesus is trying to teach me something because he doesn't give up and go home. He doesn't be like, Jesus, that's weird. I'm leaving. He, didn't do, he doesn't do that. And even though Jesus isn't making any sense, Nicodemus sticks with the conversation. He asks questions. He responds. Here's what he says in verse 4. Well, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Translation. Born again? Uh, Jesus, that sounds kind of like Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus stuff. I mean, who can be born again? No wonder Nicodemus was confused. Now, from there, Jesus starts to talk about being born of the Spirit. Right? Not exactly a clear concept to anyone now, right, let alone back then. So, you see, it's not difficult to imagine Nicodemus standing alone with Jesus in the dark, in the middle of the night, utterly confused. Now, I doubt that this was what Nicodemus had expected when he arranged to meet up with this person that he called rabbi. As one of the intellectual elite, it may have been one of the first times that Nicodemus listened to a teacher and was absolutely just in bewilderment, not even able to understand what the teacher is saying. I think it's possible Nicodemus started to feel like we do sometimes. Our circumstances don't turn out the way we imagined. What we thought we knew, we might not know at all. The God we thought we believed in is different than we expected. And what happens? Enter the doubt. Nicodemus spent the rest of his time with Jesus that night doing what? Asking questions, wrestling with his doubt. Well, what does that mean, he said? How, how can this be? Nicodemus approached Jesus as a man of faith, but doubt started to shake his foundation. He became very unsure of what he had been taught his whole life. Nicodemus showed up thinking he knew something, and he left unsure of what he knew at all. Now let's jump ahead in the story because this isn't the last time we see Nicodemus. The next time Nicodemus makes an appearance, he's with some other Pharisees, and it's during the day. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of Pharisees, and they're not happy with all the attention that Jesus is getting from the people. Then one of the temple guards walks in and the temple guard's just raving about Jesus. He's so excited about Jesus' teaching. He's like, this guy's probably even the Messiah. Well, when the Pharisees hear the guards say that, one of them sneers and this is their reply. The Pharisees said to them, have you also been fooled? Well, not one of the chief priests or the Pharisees has faith in him. Now, Nicodemus is there and he's suddenly in a tough spot. On the one hand, there's the man who claims to be God, who talks crazy talk about being born again. And on the other hand, all his friends and co-workers are mocking Jesus and laughing at the people who believe in him. Now, Nicodemus certainly didn't have all his questions answered that night he met Jesus. He still had doubts. He probably was still pretty uncertain about who he thought Jesus was. But even though it was unpopular, and even though he still had questions and doubts, Nicodemus actually spoke up on Jesus' behalf. Here's what he said in verse 51. He said, well, 
Well, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? Now it is in its own way. It's a defense of Jesus. All the other Pharisees were looking for a way to arrest Jesus or at least do something to make him quit talking and be disruptive. But Nicodemus, though he hadn't quite figured out this Jesus guy himself, he calmed the unrest among the other men. Now, for some reason, it didn't matter to Nicodemus that his first encounter with the Son of God left him with doubt, okay? But there were, that there were questions that he still had no answers to. What mattered was what he did with that doubt. And Nicodemus decided to stick around, to work through it, to determine what it, what it was that he believed and then go from there. It came back to the first thing he said to Jesus when, when he talked to him in the middle of the night. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God. Okay? He knew that much. He believed that much. That much he believed regardless of the questions that followed. Now, the last time we hear about Nicodemus is in John 19. It's following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God's own son. And maybe we see more of the culmination of Nicodemus' faith in this one account than any other. Jesus has just been crucified. Jesus is dead. And his disciples are scattered. The women are in mourning. And only two men remain to deal with the aftermath. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Look at what it says in John chapter 19. It says, Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. That's his, this is Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Okay? Nicodemus, the otherwise really important guy in the community, he took time during one of the most important Jewish holidays happening at the time, the Passover, to come to the cross. Don't miss that. And after taking Jesus' body from the place where he had died, he covered Jesus in myrrh and aloe and strips of linen. Okay, this high and important Jewish leader, do you know what he did? He took on the role of an undertaker. He prepared Jesus for burial. No one else stuck around. No one else took care of the necessary tasks of burying their teacher and their friend, but Nicodemus did. Now, I might be stretching a bit here, but I think Nicodemus still had unanswered questions. He probably hadn't solved the riddle that Jesus gave him the first time they talked. Yet somehow, Nicodemus managed to believe and grow despite his doubts. Where he once moved, uh, moved from, he, somehow he, he moved from a, a skeptical questioner, right, to a bold believer, even with doubts. Where he once approached Jesus under the cover of dark, now he's going to the Roman governor and asking for the body of Christ. Friends, something happened to Nicodemus here. How did he go from John 3 to John 19? How did his uncertainty lead him back to God? Now, I'm not sure what questions Nicodemus had answered. I, I really don't know. There's nowhere else in the Bible where we see Nicodemus saying confidently, oh, I get it. I understand. I have to be spiritually reborn. Everything makes sense. 
now I'm going to follow Jesus. As far as I know, he still didn't get it. He maybe spent the rest of his life trying to figure out that cryptic conversation that Je- with Jesus originally he, that he originally had. Regardless, Nicodemus chose to allow his doubt to lead him in belief. Friends, the issue for us, much like Nicodemus, is figuring out what to do with the doubts we have about God. We know we're going to have doubts, okay? We're going to be faced with situations that we don't understand and things that don't line up and what we thought we believed. And how will we respond in those moments when God does something that we think it out of character? How will we respond when a person whose faith we admire lets us down? Or when something in the Bible doesn't make sense? Where is our doubt going to take us? You've probably heard of Mother Teresa. She's pretty much considered a modern-day saint. She became a missionary at the age of 18. She lived the remainder of her 87 years ministering in the slums of Calcutta, India. Okay, one of the poorest, dirtiest, and most disease-filled areas of the world. She cared for the people who filled the streets, and she did it all in the name of Jesus Christ. In the course of her lifetime, she earned the Nobel Peace Prize for her charitable work and was responsible for the founding of the Missionaries of Charity, which was operating at the time in 123 countries with 610 locations by the time she passed away. Mother Teresa died in 1997. In 2007, 10 years after her death, Time Magazine released an article with Teresa's letters written to close friends, letters that shared her fears, her uncertainties, and even her doubts. She wrote questions to her friends while she was ministering, questions like, is heaven real? (laughs) Is Jesus real? Is God real? Does God hear me when I pray? You see, this article would support the idea that Mother Teresa wrestled with her doubt for nearly 40 years. And the incredible thing about her story isn't that she had doubts. I mean, she's human after all. Every one of us has doubts. The incredible thing is what she did with those doubts. The whole time she was wrestling with these huge questions, she didn't quit doing what she was doing because doubt crept in. No, you know what she did? She worked through it. She may not have had all the answers, but she didn't allow the questions to stop her faith journey. She learned to live in that tension between belief and doubt, just like Nicodemus did. Friends, here's my last point, and I I hope you hear this. And I hope I can encourage you this. When you doubt God, can I just encourage you, learn to embrace the doubt and allow it to lead you to belief. Instead of repulsing the doubt, learn to embrace the doubt and allow it to lead you to belief. For me, there have been times when I have doubted God. I have doubted his existence, his presence, even his goodness. But the issue for me has always been if I'm going to let my doubt direct me back towards belief or let my doubt dismantle my belief. Both doubt and belief will exist. But will we allow the doubt to pave the way to more belief, deeper belief, or will it stop our belief 
dead in its tracks. Friends, no matter where your faith lies, where your faith comes from or where your faith is moving to, there is always going to be doubt. There is a lot in life I still don't understand. There are a lot of big questions that haven't been answered in my life. And there are some questions that I don't anticipate ever getting an answer to. The doubt remains. And if I had to guess, bigger questions and bigger doubts are probably going to be a part of my future. Yours too. It's unavoidable. But what do you do with it when it comes? When you find yourself questioning the things you're reading in the Bible, when you find yourself confused by the unfolding of difficult circumstances surrounding you, what are you going to do with it? Nicodemus, at any point in his story, he could have chosen to walk away. We can too. That is a choice. We certainly wouldn't be the only ones doing it. When dealing with doubt, we always have a choice in where we allow it to direct us. Are we going to walk away? Or are we going to stick around? Friends, Mother Teresa, she stuck around. So did Nicodemus. That is where they are different from a lot of people. Yeah, they doubted, just like you might be experiencing right now. But doubt did not dictate their lives and their actions. No, belief did that. Like them, we need to learn how our faith and our doubts can reside together in a relationship with Jesus Christ, in our relationship with God. We're going to have doubt and faith. We've got to use those together. Friends, you are wired for faith. You are. You're also wired for doubt. We all are. If you're trying to figure out how to avoid doubt altogether, guess what? You're in a losing battle. Our doubt can be part of the process in the path towards a deeper belief. Listen to me. Doubt is not bad. Not even when it comes to Christianity. Doubt is not the enemy. Doubt can deepen our faith. If you think God is disappointed in you when you have doubts, you're wrong. God actually invites us to explore more of him in those moments. Friends, learn to embrace the doubt and allow it to lead you to a deeper belief. As we get into this series deeper and looking at some really tough questions, we're going to deal with a lot of questions that can be the root of some of our doubts. Friends, don't run from these questions that we're going to explore over the next several weeks. Lean into them and wrestle with them and let them drive your faith towards God, not away from him. Amen? And Brooke, so glad to have you joining us today. Hey, uh, and, uh, thanks for tuning in. Hey, we're going to continue to worship now. Have a great week.